0: Welcome along to this bite-sized edition of Tax & Lunch. Thanks for joining me. I'm Vincent Lachardi. You're listening to the podcast for tax advisors to high net worth individuals, wealthy family groups, and private clients. I'm really excited that you're joining me for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your team so they can also gain the inside perspective. Let's listen in. We'll get started then. Thank you again for joining with us. My name is Vincent Lachardi and I'm a tax partner at HWL Ebsworth Lawyers in Melbourne. We're very fortunate today uh, to be joined by uh, Christy Schubert, uh, one of our tax partners in Adelaide, and also uh, Jessica Pengali, sorry, Christy in Sydney. and Jessica in Adelaide. I'll hand over to uh, both of them in a second to introduce themselves. Um, We'll be taking you through some of the key measures in the federal budget that was uh, handed down last night by uh, Treasurer Frydenberg. It's a very interesting budget because for many of the, the tax people out there, we're sort of ruffling through all of the documents and we don't necessarily find as many tax technical points as we would like, but nonetheless, we've identified Um, a number of areas that we think are are very important for uh, businesses and clients generally, particularly um, in the midst of the economic environment that uh, Australia and globally uh, we're currently facing. And so we'll take you through some of those items uh, shortly. And also we're very mindful that none of the measures at this point, perhaps the the excise measure in the next few days, but none of the measures at this point have actually uh, become law and so We do have a a circumstance with an impending federal election as well that could cause some of the measures at least to perhaps not become law at all, or if they do, most likely, they will be uh, law in the coming months after the federal election has uh, passed. So without uh, further ado, Christy, I might uh, hand to you and then to Jessica to introduce yourselves. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Vincent. Um, As Vincent said, my name is Christy Shube and I'm a partner in the tax team here at HWLE. I primarily focus on tax disputes, audits, reviews and and litigation. Um, Before we started, we all just wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we're each presenting today, as well as the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia. We want to pay our thanks and respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge their enduring connection with the land. And with that, I'll pass over to Jess. I mentioned
2: I'm based here in Adelaide. I'm a special counsel in our tax team. Um, I primarily focus on corporate transactions, small business taxation, international taxes, and indirect taxes. Great.
0: Thanks, Jessica. Now, just to work through a couple points of housekeeping uh, before we we get into the nuts and bolts of the budget, Um, we'd like to make this uh, as interactive as possible with all of you, we have a couple hundred people on the line today sharing this with us. So please, um, you're most welcome to post your questions directly in the chat box. We'll endeavour to answer um, as many of them as we can. We don't necessarily have all the answers because we're largely working from the budget material, but certainly happy to get through as many of those uh, as possible. as Madison referred to in the in the chat box already, if you can, please post those questions directly to the panellists um, and then that way your, your name as well won't be published as to the questions that you're asking to everyone on the line. So that would be great. If there's a, a dropout, please log back in. And as always, the, and I already mentioned this, these measures are not law, but this presentation is not legal advice. Uh, and so you shouldn't be going off directly with your clients trying to implement some of the things that we've heard overnight, certainly unless, until we know more about what the government will be doing in respect to these measures. And certainly if you have questions that come up in your practices after this session, perhaps in due course, there might be certain points that we've raised that you'd like to speak further with us about, you're most welcome, of course, to get in touch with any one of us or more broadly within the HWL tax group as well. So just to uh, briefly take you through what we will try to cover today, we're going to um, endeavour to get through as much as possible as we can. We'll take you through the lead up to uh, this particular budget, some of the economic circumstances that uh, Australia has faced and, and why we think in certain instances, the government has taken particular decisions that it has. Um, Some of the headlines and initial observations more generally um, from the media and the public as to the content of the budget. We'll also take you through the the more specific nuts and bolts and the finer points of certain uh, measures that were announced. We won't obviously be able to take you through every single measure, but we'll try and get through as many of those tax measures as possible. We'll also cover, and this will be an interesting one, what's not in the budget. Uh, We'll also take you through some of that, some practical considerations uh, for your clients. We'll we'll work through that um, generally as we go. And obviously, uh, I've mentioned as well, this is as interactive as we can make it, so you're most welcome to publish uh, any questions through to us and send any questions through to us as we go. So perhaps, Christy, if I could ask you to take us through the lead up and economic backdrop, please, to last night's budget by Treasurer Frydenberg.
1: Thanks, Vincent. So so this slide here is just a little bit of a helpful scene setting slide around some of the things that were happening um, up to the delivery of the budget. Obviously, we all know it's an election year, so some of these things have been getting more airtime than others, but all quite relevant and Things that are sort of being balanced and traversed by the tre- treasurer when he's handing down a budget in an election year. Um, so we start off on the first step. Um, if anyone recalls sort of December of last year, the mid-year economic fiscal outlook, um, which was delivered in December, um, there, were, there were pretty strong um, projections. Um, or, well, the projections were stronger than expected um at that time and so you know the the low unemployment rates and expected growth in real GDP, we're giving um, the government certainly um, the economy was was looking pretty good at that time. Um, If we step over to January, um, again, you can see that um, in some respects, in some of these steps, there's a little bit of a mixed bag, Um, we have retail sales there rebounding, but also the worst consumer confidence index since 1992. Um, and obviously there's been a lot of you know different theories around some of the different stats the jobless rate for example um, being so low at four percent originally um, last year in the last budget i think the the forecast was around 4.75 percent by mid next year um, so that's been seen as a really positive sign obviously um, low unemployment um, also indicative potentially the job keeper was was doing its job and Um, acting as a bit of a lifeline um, for business over the COVID pandemic. Um, The interesting thing so far for anyone that's been sort of, you know, watching any of the commentary is that we haven't really heard anyone unpicking some of these figures yet. So I think when we see the reply from um, the Labor government, it'll be quite interesting um, what they do with some of these figures, particularly you know, it, as tax people, we're, we're sort of well well versed in things like the gig economy and, and how that's having a big impact on the way that nature of work and and whatnot at the moment as well. So, so there's a bit of a mixed bag there. Um, the, the retail sales obviously looks quite good. The consumer confidence index is something that doesn't look very good. Um, I think a lot of commentators are, are generally finding that some of those weaker figures, um, particularly that that index, is potentially on the back of the Omicron virus um, and that sort of resurgence. So it's an interesting economic background um, or backdrop to what's happening, but also because it's such a mixed bag, it's always hard to sort of, you know, what you can take from some of the stats and what they're actually made up of. Um, One of the big things, and this is sort of, as everyone will have seen so far, that's um, featured quite heavily in the budget, is the impact of the Ukraine conflict. So obviously domestically, that's been having um, a real a real impact on things like fuel prices and consumables. Um, so lots of swings and roundabouts. Um, I won't go through each of those, but just a little bit of an interesting background there for you to see um, some of the areas that are being traversed um, by a, a typically fiscally conservative um, government <laughs> um, trying to, um, hand out some money, but also manage a, what's at the moment a pretty significant debt. Um, so we'll we'll flick over to the next slide. Um, so if anybody follows um, Mr. Morrison on LinkedIn, you'll have seen his five point plan leading up to um, the budget. And there it is. Um, You'll see if you've read any of the budget papers, um, you can see how these uh, sort of thread through each of the things that have been the initiatives um, that are all proposals that have been handed down. Um, Obviously, cost of living has been flagged as a, a very key concern leading up to this budget. I think that's probably something that um, we've all expected, and particularly in an election year, again, it's one of those things that we're sort of seeing a lot of, um, I don't like to call it a cash splash, but we're seeing a little bit of sort of spending and and some sweeteners in the budget to try and help sort of everyday Australians with that rising cost of living amid all of the things that are going on in the economy at the moment. So these five things are quite interesting. Um, just having a look at this is kind of some of the underlying strategy around um, where the budget has come from and, and what it's trying to address. I'll just head back over to Vincent now.
0: Sure, thanks, Christy. That's great. Thank you for that. And just to let you know as well, and we'll touch on an initial question that's that's come through. I won't mention who it's um, who it's from, but the the question. Um, relates to were, whether there were, and then we can get into some of the, this detail further, but um, whether there were any new measures for staff subsidies to employ new staff in business. Oh, I've got a, a response for that one, but does anyone, Christy, would you like to touch on that one at all?
1: You can go first if, you want sure. instance, if you've got a particular yeah, one you wanted to.
0: Yeah, yeah that's fine. So, um, Just to let you know, to the person that asked that question, there are um, not necessarily new subsidies, but extensions for apprenticeships, for example, that the government has has flagged. Um, We're also waiting to see uh, whether the the Labor government will also raise this in the next day or so. So not necessarily new staff subsidies, but extensions to existing subsidies for apprentices, particularly, tradies, etc., is what we've been seeing in the last day or so, particularly last night. So great question. Thank you for that. Now, just to pop back to some of the initial uh, headlines and initial observations as well, that these are just to give you a bit of an indication from the media generally and what the community's thinking as to last night's budget. I um, thought I'd put this together for you because it gives you a... A sense and a flavour of really, we're in an election cycle, and we're coming up to five or six weeks before the next election. So really, and some people might might take many of the measures with a bit of a grain of, of salt. But what what we're seeing is that, um, and Christy touched on this in respect to the, the cash splash, Although we don't necessarily want to uh, talk about it in that way, um, we've seen in particular changes to low income tax offsets, extensions to those. Um, We've also seen the obvious and significant change that Jessica will speak about in relation to excise, for example. Um, So we're we're seeing the government taking on overall what looks to be, um, based on these observations, really a two-pronged approach, which is cost of living, um, and then also sort of innovation agenda, trying to improve the economy that's moved away overall from sort of the earlier stages of manufacturing. So that's largely what we've seen from last night's budget. To give you a sense, um, $15 billion in respect of infrastructure spending and regional uh, initiatives. I've already touched on the cost of living. There were surprisingly a couple quite specific measures in relation to primary production. Um, One in relation to um, the measures for Uh, patent boxes and certain expansions for chemicals for uh, primary production, but also to, in relation to the certain changes for income averaging for primary producers as well, so we saw some of that. Um, Significant changes to employee share schemes. Unfortunately, what we didn't see, which is always the big one um, that the lawyers tend to look for is significant tax reform. We didn't really see any of that. We saw a couple technical improvements, but not much. Christy will touch on this in due course, but not really anything on multinationals. And we also didn't see, which is surprising, the first time in four or five years, we haven't seen anything in respect of further extensions to the accelerated depreciation rules as well. So um, temporary uh, expensing rules, et cetera, they are quite literally temporary and we won't be taking them any further by the look of uh, last night's budget either. So I might ask Jessica if you could please take us through the uh, employee share scheme changes. That's one of the big ones.
2: Thanks, Vincent. Um, And apologies in advance for any background noise. I have my children at home um, in isolation. Um, One of the more promising measures to come out of the federal budget um, is this proposal to expand access to employee share schemes and reduce red tape. And basically this is to improve the global competitiveness of our startup sector and business sector generally. The current employee share scheme rules allow companies to provide ownership interest to employees, which um, can attack, attract concessional tax treatment. Um, for example, upfront tax concessions and tax deferrals. But companies do need to tread carefully. There's a lot of requirements they have to satisfy to obtain those tax concessions and there are also disclosure obligations under the Corporations Act, which can trip companies up. Now, we don't have a lot of detail as to exactly what's proposed by these measures, um, but the budget papers did detail that uh, for larger offers in unlisted companies, they will expand the maximum um, allowable investment, and that'll be increased for $30,000 per participant per year, and it will also be accruable for unexercised options, up to five years, um, plus also 70% of any dividends and cash bonuses. Alternatively, um, that cap can be removed completely um, so that uh, the investment amount will be any amount, provided that it allows the company to immediately take advantage of a planned sale um, or listing, and for participants to essentially sell their purchase interest um, at a profit under that uh, planned sale or planned listing. There's also a proposal to remove some of the regulatory requirements for offers to independent contractors, um, which have been a stumbling block for some companies previously. Um, we don't have much more detail at this stage, so hopefully in the coming weeks um, we'll find that more detail is released about these measures. Back to you, Vincent.
0: Great, thanks for that, Jessica. That's fantastic. Uh, Christy, I might ask um, if I could for you to take us through the next slide, which I'll just move to in relation to the, the patent boxes. Sure.
1: Thanks, Vincent and Jess. Um, so th- this is probably um, quite an exciting part, I think. And I think I think most people find sort of the R&D, tax incentive, patent box, any of these sort of things really um, great to see the government investing time and, and um, finances to it. Um, probably just to give you a little bit of background, not everybody's very familiar with patent box yet because it hasn't actually um, kicked in um, into gear, so to speak. So if we if we sort of revert back to last year's budget, um, the government had originally announced the patent box regime. Now, this is similar to what is in the UK um, and, and its purpose is, was basically to um, encourage investment in Australian medical and and biotech innovation, which is really massive for this country because we have some really fantastic um, innovative companies in that sort of area. So broadly, um, it means that income that's derived from Australian patents in the medical and biotech sectors um, would basically be taxed at an effective um, concessional rate of around 17%. Um, so that's as opposed to the ordinary sort of corporate tax rates that um, a company would be subjected to. So it's a really appealing incentive, as you can imagine. Um, it was proposed the regime would be applying from 1 July 2022, uh, so this year, 1 July 2022. Um, but the exciting part of this part of the budget now is that it's actually been expanded to cover the agricultural sector and also something which was foreshadowed last year, which is um, also to low emissions technology innovations. Um, so for those particular so for the agricultural sector and low emissions technology um, innovators patent box will now so long as it all goes through will now apply um, from next year for those companies so from one july next year with the bio and medical um, starting from one july this year Um, the other really interesting point and and obviously when we're dealing with um, companies that sort of have a, a broad footprint and, and have, you know, particularly the multinationals in different countries, um, is that the government is now also going to recognise patents granted under the US and European regimes? So that's really um, significant um, change. Um, There's obviously still a lot of details that are going to need to be ironed out on this one. Um, And typically the government will be consulting with industry on the detailed design of the expansion. Um, But obviously it's really good news, Um, you know, obviously for the economy as a whole, for these companies. um, And we're really looking forward to seeing what else comes of that. Obviously, um, the, the the main thing that I would say on on these sorts of um, so w- whether it's R and D, whether it's Pat box, whatever it is that you're trying to access by yourself or or for a client, um, the really salient point is ensuring that you do keep your eyes on the developments and and bear across the dates and the administrative requirements. You can see um, just from the announcement from last year to now that there have been some changes. So it's those finicky little changes that could mean that a particular um, company or project is eligible or not eligible. So really keeping your eye on those things will will be really important to ensure that you can access them if possible. But I think all around that's that's really excellent news to, to hear that pop you over to the next slide now um, and what we'll just have a little bit of a look at is the the next really um, saying everything's exciting, but I, I do I do get excited about innovation and R&D. Um, and I mean, I've helped a lot of clients that have had issues with the regulator um, in relation to R&D and innovative sort of activities. And it, it's an area that, you know, we've got some wonderful companies in Australia that are doing some really fantastic things. So to see this sort of investment is absolutely wonderful. Um, so this next one um, is to give a boost to investment in technology and digital. Now, this is, I, I think, an excellent um, initiative. But you're going to get a bonus twenty percent tax deduction to support digital adoption. Um, and that that it there's a cap, so it only goes up to a hundred thousand. But basically, um, it, it really is. Meaning that, you know, if you've got a client or yourself as a company is looking to um, incur expenditure on things like portable payment devices. And I mean, that's a big one because we know there's lots of companies still that don't have those cyber security systems, um, subscriptions to cloud based services. Those are the sorts of things that are potentially going to be, um, you know, subject to this tax deduction. So it's absolutely wonderful. Um, The second measure, and and this is um, touching on the question that we had earlier, is really associated with um, training and upskilling. Um, So, again, a bonus 20% tax deduction to upskill and train staff again, that's a a really wonderful initiative to really get people, you know, into training on the job. And from my perspective, hopefully, into those really tangible jobs. We're not just looking at gig economy-type employment. We're looking at really um, good, tangible jobs, which are great for the economy in the future. So some really great, great initiatives there.
0: Great, thanks, Christy. And I've actually got a question that's come through that, perhaps we just jump back one one slide for a second. Um, just in respect to the R&D um, work that you've done generally, the, the question is in relation to just really good record keeping, and th- this person seems to post it as a comment, but um, could you give us a sense of, of whether it's, is it the record keeping that's tripped potentially clients up? How might that... Um, be a, a focus area in regard to the patent boxes and what maybe we should be looking out for if sure. practitioners in due course have, have those sorts of issues?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So record keeping is one of the areas that, particularly on the R&D tax incentive side, um, being really prepared from the very start to be able to... I, I guess the problem with with innovation generally and with some of the tax incentives is that it gets given to a client with one hand, but taken away with another. Um, and it is problematic. You can see some companies that have got some really great ideas and innovative um, activities that they're doing. Um, but sometimes there's not the evidence that you really need there when they get into a dispute. So obviously I only ever become involved when it is a dispute. Um, and that is primarily the, the biggest issue for clients. So. Really, you know, working with your R&D advisor to really clearly articulate what it is that the activities are, being very careful to make sure that you know you, you're claiming the right activities that are actually R&D activities. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a real bear trap, um, but definitely it's an area that it's worth investing the time in making sure you've got the right evidence so that you can access those incentives. Because it's it's far worse if you have to go down the track and dispute have a dispute about it later on. And it's an area that you know the both the tax office and Oz industry have been very um active on for the last few years. So you have um for example both an expenditure and a registration dispute if you if you're unlucky. So it's um yeah definitely an area are worth investing time in.
0: Great. Thanks for that Christy. So we'll we'll move through now and I'll just take you through a couple of the items in regards to Uh, The changes to uh, pay-as-you-go instalments. By and large, these are really for uh, smaller businesses assisting with cash flow. And what the government has proposed here is where, essentially, rather than having uplifts in your pay-as-you-go instalments and increases from year to year in those instalments based on uh, largely GDP figures, the government has said that they will uh, pair that back in respective instalments, which will then be linked to the specific business performance of the business or of your client um, at a, at the certain point in time that you are paying the instalment. And that business uh, performance will be based on their specific accounting software. So what we're not sure on at this stage, although it, it seems to have been raised loosely in the budget paper is that presumably the ATO will have to work with the software providers to work out um, how that will be calculated. There there will be tax adjustments to the specific performance figures, but then also to whether those figures are reported to the ATO as well on a quarterly basis to work out, firstly, the business's performance and the effect on on the instalment amount that your client might have to pay. Uh, The second item is also an instalment adjustment, but it relates to pay-as-you-go and GST instalments. You might already know that the the GDP uplift in GST and pay-as-you-go instalments is somewhere in the order of the the 10% mark, Um, but the the government has said that they would reduce that uh, to 2%, but that will only apply for smaller businesses. So by and large, 10 mil turnover for GST and 50 mil uh, turnover for instalments themselves. My view is that, by and large, this is really going to be a timing difference. Ultimately, it's about the credit that will be paid when your client lodges their tax return, if we're talking about instalments, or their activity statement when they might do, for example, an annual GST return or something similar to that. So, by and large, this item is really just a cash flow initiative um, rather than a, a hard change to how much tax your clients might actually be paying over time to the ATO. Jessica, I might hand to you, please, if I could, uh, just to take us through uh, some of the excise changes.
2: Thanks, Vincent. Um, The budget also announced some very welcome relief for consumers from the rising cost of fuel. So we all know that global oil prices have risen significantly since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and that's very quickly translated into um, higher prices at the petrol pump. So effective immediately, Um, The government has announced that the fuel excise rate on petrol and diesel will be halved from... Currently, it it was 44.2 cents per litre, and that'll be reduced to 22.1 cents per litre. And the government um, has also reduced the excise and um, excise equivalent customs duty rates for all other fuels and petroleum-based products except for aviation fuels, and they've also been reduced by 50%. Um, I suppose the real stinger is that that's only a temporary reduction, um, and it's uh, slated to last for six months. So in mid-September, we'll see those prices increase again. Um, This is going to uh, decrease the government's um, tax revenue receipts by $5.6 billion, uh, but also decrease the amount it should pay out uh, by way of fuel tax credits as well. (laughs) Can we go to the next slide, Vincent? Yep. Um, the government also announced some changes to streamline um, the administration of the excise on fuel and alcohol, and also the administration of the excise equivalent customs uh, goods. So there's been a number of measures that were previously foreshadowed by the government, and the budget has announced that those uh, measures will be implemented. We're still waiting on some further detail regarding those measures, Um, But just by way of overview, uh, one of the proposals is for fuel and alcohol businesses with a turnover of less than $50 million. They will now be able to lodge and pay um, the excise and excise-equivalent customs duty quarterly instead of um, previously it was weekly or monthly. There'll be a deferral of excise and excise-equivalent customs duty for importers of fuel and certain alcohol products. Um, where they're imported for manufacture and distribution. There will be a removal and amendment of certain licensing requirements and also fees for excise and excise-equivalent customs duty. Um, And also, there's a proposal to implement a blanket uh, movement permission, whereas previously um, goods could only be moved from one site to another before payment of excise duty um, if a specific movement permission had been put in place. There's some changes relating to onshore producers of crude oil and condensate from the excise system. So effectively, those producers will be removed from the system until they exceed a certain production threshold. Um, There are some small changes around fuel excise uh, relating to removing double taxation um, around certain uh, fuel products, and also some changes relating to fuel tax credits on fuels used in commercial shipping. Um, One of the other requirements that's been highlighted in the budget um, is to provide an excise licensing exemption for certain licensed hospitality venues um, in relation to beer sales in certain sealed uh, containers of less than two litres, and that's up to a maximum of 10,000 litres per year. Just pass to the next slide.
0: And so we'll... Jessica, I'm happy to take this one for you. That's all right. Sure. Just give me a
2: moment, Vincent. Sure. Um, no, that's
0: you... all right. Uh... That, that's okay. We'll, we'll work through it. It's no problem. So just working through some of the additional items in respect of cost of living, and, and please, Christy, at any point, jump in as well, because I'm getting a couple questions sort of on the fly coming through um, on these as well. One of them's about the the billion dollars nearly that the ato got but i think we'll we'll come to that shortly um but just on a couple of the the finer points in respect of individuals so we we will see uh the whats sometimes referred to as the lamington increase for the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two year by a further four hundred and twenty dollars my recollection from the budget budget papers is that um, overall, for a couple, that should bring the, the tax offset um, to somewhere around uh, $2,000 in total for the, the family unit, in order of that. Um, and then for individuals earning up to $126,000 a year, you'll see the, the previous Lamington and the, the current Lamington that we're, we're hoping to get if the government passes uh, these rules. Uh, Jessica, did you have any anything further to uh, add in respect of this particular one?
2: Just that there's no change to the low income tax offset. So that's still an amount up to $700 for incomes up to about Mm -hmm. $66,000. And this is the last year for the low median income tax offset. So it does increase. Um, It's only for this year, um, completely phased out next year. So this will be the last year um, where taxpayers can benefit from that.
0: Sure, no problems. Thank you. I'll just move across for you. There we go.
2: Yep. Um, we also know that the government um, had foreshadowed some changes to, uh, or some, the provision of a once-off um, two hundred and fifty dollars tax exempt payment uh, for recipients of certain government payments. So this was foreshadowed, foreshadowed well before the budget was released. So individuals who are in receipt of certain payments, like the age pension, the disability support pension parenting payment, uh, carer's payment, job seeker and youth allowance um, will all receive an automatic $250 payment. It's automatically paid um, in April, so recipients don't have to do anything extra to qualify for it. Um, It is one payment per person though, so if an individual receives multiple payments, they're still only going to get um, the one payment. Another thing that's worth mentioning is that there wasn't any changes in the budget um, to the stage three income tax cuts, which were announced in the 2018 federal budget. Um, So those are still um, due to go ahead, and they are expected to come into effect from 1 July 2024. And those tax cuts will lower that um, 32.5% rate down to 30%, and it will increase the income at which that top uh, 45% marginal tax rate comes into effect. Um, previously, um, it was going to be 180000 uh, but that will now increase to 200000 from 1 July 2024. And also, it abolishes that 37% marginal tax rate, so there's effectively one tax bracket from 45000 to 200000 instead of having that um, additional 37% tax rate kicking in at 120000 we have the next slide, Vincent? Um, there's also been some minor tweaks to the Medicare levy, and in particular, the Medicare levy low income threshold. So there has been some very slight changes, which I've set out there, um, but we probably don't need to go into much detail for those. Um, the only other tax measure, I guess, um, that I'll mention Um, with regards to individuals um, is the announcement um, about supporting retirees and pension income. So there was an announcement that the government would extend the 50% reduction um, in the superannuation minimum drawdown rate to 30 June 2023. And so that reduction had already been put in place um, during COVID time, and effectively um, just extending it for another year.
0: Great, thanks for that, Jessica. Now we'll, we'll pretty much open it up to the group. Now I've got some uh, questions that have come through, which I'll, I'll sort of ask um, uh, Christian and Jessica to, to comment on. But you're most welcome um, to the people in the group to send through your questions to us. We'll try and get through as, as many as as possible. Um, and I won't mention any names, of course. So you're welcome to send them through anonymously. The the first question, um, and happy to open this up, Christy, to you and and to Jessica. This is in relation to the what what I gather is the additional twenty percent write off um, that the government has looked to introduce for digital investment. Um, and the the question is this: clients who are technology providers. So perhaps rather than the, the user of technology if you've got that expense, but clients who are technology providers, if they invest in uh, technology infrastructure themselves to provide services onto their specific clients or other businesses, will they qualify for the 120% tax deduction?
1: for the yeah for the 20 tax
0: deduction correct the extra 20 uh, yeah. that's exactly
1: yeah right. yeah um we don't know yet because we don't obviously have the draft law so there's there's not that level of detail um It could go either way, um, if I'm honest. I'm hoping that it is um, something that the government decides this is something that we actually want all businesses to invest in. Um, But there will necessarily, with any of this sort of relief, there are necessarily carve-outs. So it could be that those businesses that are already there um, are necessarily carved out. But we'll have to see if, if it gets through what the draft legislation looks like.
0: And Christy, is it this particular write-off that's capped at the hundred thousand, or is it the hundred thousand that is the uh, the training additional tax deduction?
1: So it's the hundred thousand cap is for the um, the digital investment.
0: For the digital investment, sure, yeah. fantastic. The the next question that's that's just come up, and we might have to sort of deal with the elephant in the room. I think is that the um, the significant investment that has been given to the ATO to extend the, the Tax Avoidance Task Force. So we'll we'll come to this in a bit more detail shortly, but perhaps uh, Jessica or Christy, do you have any sort of initial comments on on the extra money? My recollection is it's, it's almost 800 million over the next two years. Do you have any comments about that?
1: Yeah, so it is a significant amount of additional funding. Um, we've, we've got a slide on it, which sort of sets it out for everybody that's on the line. Um, but essentially, it's an extension of the current tax avoidance task force Um, i guess that the main thing to know about the tax avoidance task force is that just because it says tax avoidance doesn't mean that you will not be caught up in one of those reviews so if anybody's been involved in a compliance assurance review or a streamlined assurance review or any of those those are all things that were funded by this particular um, task force so um, so that those are the reviews the tax office did to to get assurance that um, you know yeah here's our slide that um, you know certain parts of the. Um, of the taxpaying community so they you know top 1000 next 500 you know you name it everybody um, basically came under review in one way or another um and so i think that's exactly right that when it comes to some of these r d tax incentives for example patent box they all get also get um, looked at under some of these reviews so often when we're looking at um, the tax avoidance task force type work, people think necessarily think transfer pricing straight away. Um, But the thing to know, if you haven't had one of those, you're probably lucky, but um, it looks at everything. So every aspect of your business. So if you have... Claimed any of these other um, incentives or deductions? There's every possibility that the tax office—it's it's that that hand that gives it and the hand that takes it away. Potentially, again, the tax office will um, be looking at it. So you're going to want to make sure that you're very clear that you fall within, um, you know, the the relevant whatever it is, whether it's the deduction, whether. It's you know, it's patent box, whatever it is, be very clear that you're there um, because the tax office will um, issue significant penalties where they feel that um, taxpayers have done the wrong thing. So the other thing to note on that um, for the Tax Avoidance Task Force is that they're also concerned with advisors, so promoters of um, dodgy schemes, basically. Um, So, you know, if you've got somebody that is promoting a particular scheme and it doesn't feel quite right, you know you're right to get a second opinion to think about it some more because you it may not even be your company that gets caught up in one of those reviews it could be your advisor so you know tread cautiously be aware there's a lot of funding to make sure that people are doing the right thing and and try and try and still steer well clear of that
0: great thank you for that christy and some of we've even seen in the last well, for four weeks or so with the, the significant publications on Section 100A for example, additional publications on Division 7A, the ATO, even though they now say that some of the statements in respect of advisors, promoters, et cetera, were sort of commonplace statements in their, in their documents and almost boilerplate type statements in their documents. Um, Clearly those items have caused a lot of concern for tax practitioners tax agents et cetera, and you end up in a or you could end up in a scenario that if you have clients that sort of fall into tax avoidance task force territory that you end up as well as that practitioner possibly being referred to the tax practitioner board so the additional money directly to the aTO can have a practical and flow on consequences for the practitioner themselves and their business so it's yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and the ATO has been really clear. So, um, if particularly for any advisers on the line, it, it's very easy to just get up the um, highlights. I think they call it from the tax avoidance task force from last year, and you can see they're very clear around what it is that that gets them interested. And the fact that, uh, particularly as Vincent said, those you know the 100A developments on the trusts, um, they've they've been concerned for some time around. Um, trusts and and the use of trusts Um, so you know I I think that's an area we're going to see a lot of a lot of activity on going forward as well
0: thank you and we we're still obviously happy to take any further questions uh, as we as we keep going I might sort of pause we've provided um, you with a lot of information so far happy to sort of hold for 10 seconds and if you'd like to post any further questions to us, or, or Christy or Jessica, any further comments, and then we'll um, we'll continue on. No problems. Thank you. So this is perhaps one of the the bigger items. It's almost the untold story, really. What what's not in the budget itself. As I mentioned at the the start of the webinar, we were, uh, Christy, Jessica and I, sort of trawling through the documents looking for the the fancy whiz-bang announcements and unfortunately there weren't that many for for tax practitioners and and also clients. Um, But there was one or a couple line items that I found really interesting in the budget papers and I think or I suspect it might be due to um surprises that are on their way uh, before the election and th- this is the phrase that and you can have a look at the documents on on this point, but decisions taken but not yet announced and you'll see that those are quite significant dollars there that we're talking about as to either um two and a half billion dollars of additional receipts, so that will be additional tax in some form that the government proposes to not necessarily announced in an overt way before the election, but we should expect that to be coming over the, the coming years. Two and a hundred, $2.5 billion also in additional spending in the, in the coming financial year that is referred to um, in the budget papers. And I thought this one was quite interesting, but $3 billion in additional cuts as well. So we're not sure where they might um, come from. Um, But the government has sort of flagged that we should be expecting um, these sorts of measures to come in the, I would think, in the coming weeks, perhaps the the next fortnight or so. Unfortunately, in respect to tax reform, we didn't see um, additional announcements, for example, in respect of corporate tax residency, which we saw in last year's budget, where effectively the, the government was going to overturn changes uh, to corporate tax residency, which was effectively handed down by the High Court in Huawang Bank. We we didn't see anything further in, in that respect. Um, we didn't see anything further also, you know, there, there's been a lot of fanfare about 100A. Some people are saying it should be repealed. We obviously didn't see that. Um, we didn't see anything in respect of Division 7A. There, There is still the outstanding policy paper from probably around four four years ago now, five years ago, that um, looks to be the case that that simply won't be implemented at all anymore. Those were quite significant changes to rules for private groups, for example, removing of distributable surplus. None of that is mentioned at all. Um, no changes apart from some small COVID changes to FBT rules. We didn't see anything further on those, either, uh, Christy, were you looking for something in particular for multinationals, for example? There doesn't seem to have been, as far as I can see, in anything on that. What, what might you have been looking for um, in respect of those?
1: Sure. So we, we've obviously we've got the tax avoidance task force, um, but what I was expecting was something around um, the global deal on the minimum effective tax rate. So. For anyone that's not aware, um, around 136 OECD member countries earlier in the year signed up to that global deal, um, which essentially means that the countries that have signed up are going to um, top up tax to at least 15%, so that companies are, are getting an effective tax rate of 15% um, going forward. And under the, the current timetable, the government really needs to be getting that legislation in this year because it's it's meant to be, you know, effective as of next year. So it's a it's a you know really large undertaking by the OECD. Obviously, it's got a lot of different countries involved. I suspect this is something that there's been some decisions taken, not yet announced on, um, and I suspect that we'll see some more going on with that. I think it's particularly interesting, um, given that we do have the the patent box, um, which is, you know, 17% um, tax, if you start throwing in some other deductions and whatnot, you can see how an effective tax rate can get south of 15%. So, um, it, again, it's one of those areas that it's an interest omission. Um, it'll be interesting to see when that comes through, how how they're proposing to do the top-up um, and, and what the um, sort of draft legislation looks like on it. Again, it's probably also an area where um, obviously the purpose of it is to have taxpayers or companies paying tax where they're headquartered. So potentially some of the additional receipts the government's expecting to come from companies that were paying tax in other countries to now be paying tax here. So, um, yeah, that's a, a very interesting omission, I think, given the, the imminency of it.
0: Great. Thank you for that. And Jessica, was there anything that you might have liked to see um, in the budget a- across the different measures that you just you couldn't find?
2: Um, I think a lot of practitioners out there have been hoping for some uh, further guidance on 100A or some more targeted amendments uh, to clarify how the provisions operate. And ideally, um, that should be done in legislation, but um, there hasn't been an indication that anything will be released imminently.
0: Yeah, absolutely I, I agree, and unfortunately, we've seen a couple scenarios, and in, in particular, for example, the the Nally rules, where the government actually said. So that's the non-arm's length income rules, where the government actually said in the last couple of weeks or month that they're actually going to take steps effectively to overturn the ATO's administration of those rules on the non-arm's length expenditure side. So. Um, there's probably a lot more to see here in the coming months, I would have thought. Um, and we'll also, perhaps, the the battle lines might be drawn uh, in the next day or so, depending on what Labor decides to do as well. And there might be further announcements before the election, etc., depending on what the other side decide to do too in respect of tax.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting. I think, um, just sort of off a, off a tax topic. I think one of the good things to see was the expanded, um, paternity leave eligibility. Um, so I think it was, you know, and obviously that might be relevant for some people on the call, but, um, I think it's good to see the government recognising that there is that need for flexibility and, you know, to try and increase female, participation in the workforce. So I thought that was, um, probably a long time coming, but, um. But a, a good addition nonetheless.
0: Absolutely, definitely, completely agree. Uh, we might, um, now I'll just move to the, the next item. Christy, I think you were, you, you'd observed when we were um, discussing some of these numbers earlier, there looked to be numbers going up and down, and so you were sort of reading as to where the government might be. Um, going with some of their measures, could you sort of step us through some of these figures, and I can toggle through the couple slides for you as well as you do that.
1: Yeah, sure. So we've got so we've got two slides that sort of go together, and anyone on this call will now learn that I'm not very good with diagrams because it would have been ideal to have them all on the same slide. Um, but but essentially, we've got the net debt figure and then the net, national deficit figure. So the net debt figure. Reflects, and if anybody saw the papers or anything, you'd see that the interest expense for the government is going up because debt's going up. They're borrowing to um, allow for some of these measures, but the deficit's going down. Um, And so, obviously, when you're looking at a at a budget like this, the question is, well, how how is it the deficit's going down? This is what we're sort of alluding to earlier around you know, the the Tax Avoidance Task Force, for example, obviously they've got some big figures attached to what they think is going to come in there. We've got the, you know, the global minimum taxation rules that we're expecting to see. Um, So if you go, so we can see their national deficit going down. If we go to the next next slide, we can see that um, wages growth is going up, but not hugely so over time, but tax receipts are certainly going up. So again, that's reflecting, um, not necessarily linked with an increase in wages, but potentially linked with um, what they're expecting to see in terms of um, applying some of their compliance resources. So helpful just to be aware that, you know, they are expecting an increase in some of these tax receipts. Um, We we know anecdotally that we do see an increase in, the level of and um, severity of collection that's that's undertaken in times like this, when there's a budget deficit to plug. So it's well worth knowing, um, particularly if you've got a dispute on board, we know at the moment we're seeing, you know, if you look at the federal court, there's more freezing orders happening, for example. So being really proactive if there is a tax debt as well, just to avoid sort of the more harsh, end of the stick, but I think you can see that there's a real expectation that tax receipts are going to go up over time, and I think we'll see some more um, information on that in that, you know, the, the planned but not documented section of the budget very soon.
0: Great. Thank you for that. You now, I think we, we're almost at, at the end, so I'm happy to, uh, we're, we're probably five minutes or so to go. and um, we'll, We can obviously finish a bit early if everyone would like, but certainly happy to sort of throw it open again. Any final questions? Just one thing um, as those are coming through that came to my mind as um, we were talking earlier about some of the electronic uh, initiatives that the government has, has proposed. One of the ones that someone flagged with me earlier today, which I, I um, have only just thought about was, The the, the government seems to be giving the ATO and the the State Revenue Office uh, equivalents of the the ATO um, additional powers and perhaps even some money in respect of data matching for payroll tax. And so this will be a, a significant one, I think, going forward where you end up with clients who might inadvertently have or end up with payroll tax debts as a consequence of what they're reporting to the ATO and they may not even realise that that's on its way. So that's probably another one as well just to keep an eye out on. But definitely happy now to throw it open to the group and then obviously Christy and Jessica to yourselves if you have any any final comments for us as well.
1: Yeah, I think um, while we wait to see if there's any final questions, I think you're right, Vincent, data matching is, you know, one of those capabilities that the tax office is very sophisticated. Um, And so they've got at their fingertips a lot of data and they're not afraid to use it. So they will match, they will, um, you know, look at trends. Um, That's, we know that's how they risk assess and determine, um, you know, often who they're going to look at. So it is definitely well worth being aware around some of the complications um, with that. And just risk assessing, you know, does everything stack up or does it not? And the reason why that's important is that if there is an issue, you know working it out promptly means you can make a voluntary disclosure, you can get penalty mitigation, all of those sorts of things. So um, you know it's it, it's better to work those things out in advance and you know often you know talking with your accountant you can you can work through those things and 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 work through it and find if there is an issue.
0: Great. Thank you for that. I've actually just had a, a question come through that I'll, I'll just try and read out um, verbatim here on the fly. Uh, it says, when is the starting time for the agricultural patents initiative, noting that the first patent box, rule, box rules were originally announced last year?
1: Yeah. So the, the ag is going to start from the 1st of July next year, so long as all the legislation goes through so it's the medical and the biotech um, patent box that will start from 1 July um, this year and then um, the low emissions technology and and ag from 1 July next year.
0: Great thank you for that I've I've got one further one and then it seems like they've slowed down a bit but um, now I'll just try and read it again verbatim and this might be ultimately one that we can have a quick chat about as well, is what do you think the effect of the electronic trust beneficiary reporting will be for tax practitioners? So I think that might be, um, practitioners on the line might be aware that the government seemed to announce last night that there will be what looked to be for trusts, you'll now be able to lodge electronically with the ATO and report beneficiary statements to the ATO, but more so if you are directly the client. Because I think, by and large, if you're not a tax practitioner, you can't actually lodge the trust tax returns and all the beneficiary requirements electronically. So that um, should be occurring as well by the look of it. So you'll now be able to lodge, presumably um, via the the business services portal, I would have thought. Uh, Christy, did you have sort of any, comments about you touched on the data matching earlier. Did you have sort of any additional comments on that? And I think we're uh, almost at the end. Sure.
1: Um, I, I think it's, I mean, um, I don't think that the timing is by accident. Um, when you think about what's happening with 100A, um, I suspect that that is, and I think that's coming in in 2024 from memory, um, subject to, I, I think they've said it exactly. for papers, subject to, Um, the software company's been able to do it. So I suspect that that's not not by accident um, and that that data will be assisting. The 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 tax office has been moving towards real-time audits um, over the last few years, as you know. So that will necessarily assist them to risk assess what will no doubt be a lot of um, trust arrangements and work out which ones, where they're going to get the most bang for their buck potentially. So I think that that potentially will be used, that information.
0: Excellent, thank you. So I think we're almost at the end by the look of it. There's no further questions. Uh, A couple comments have come through which I won't necessarily touch on, can't necessarily read them out by look of it. Um, But thank you everyone for coming along to our uh, session today. We're very grateful for having you along Thanks, uh, Christy and Jessica for uh, presenting along with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if anyone has any questions, you're most welcome um, to get in touch with us uh, after the session. Uh, And also, as I mentioned earlier, most welcome if issues come up in due course that might have been prompted by this particular webinar, budget measures, or even just tax issues generally, we're most happy to have a, a chat with all of you. And work through any issues that you or your clients might have in in your businesses. So thank you, everyone, very much. We appreciate your time.